Jenna, I know we have a script in front of us that's supposed to guide this conversation, but I can't take the idea of a scripted opening. So we're going off book. We're going... Uh. Exactly. Just what you wanted, right? Jenna, here's the potato. Oh, over to you. What are you going to do with it? Throw it immediately back to you. All right. Oh, hi, everyone. This is Edgideo's Community Conversation Podcast. I'm your host, at least until they find someone better, Ryan Galenzi. I'm the Key Relationship Director here at Edgideo Ministries. And I'm Jenna Cottrell, Edgideo's Design Specialist. I'm here because our leadership wanted to make sure we keep this intro tight. So, Ryan, why is Edgideo launching a podcast? Didn't we already have the community conversations on Zoom? Thanks for that really organic question, Jenna. We did host many conversations on Zoom, but here's the thing. We found the set times online gave us very little flexibility, especially for our leaders around the world. And we noticed trying to find a set hour of time for our Canadian audience also made it very difficult. And people at this point just didn't want to be sitting on Zoom for an hour during their workday. So we thought entering the podcast space was best. I mean, it's a pretty untapped market. Jenna, exactly. You see, there's so few podcasts out there, and we thought we'd jump on this bandwagon before it really became a big thing. And you can go on for four hours. Well, in all seriousness, we did like the idea of giving conversations with our leaders a lot more room to breathe. So who's up for our first episode? This week, I spoke with Yadira Kentenya. Yadira is the principal of Cornerstone Presbyterian School in the Corazal District of Belize. She's been an educator since 2004 and is currently pursuing a Christian educator certificate through the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. Yadira shared with us her deep passion for her home, her Moses moment of becoming a leader, and the impact the Global Education Summit had on her vision for what a Christian school could be. So let's get into it. Our first community conversation podcast episode with Yadira Kintenya. Okay. And I'm recording from home. You know, I, I think about where we are. I'm sitting currently sitting in our Edgedale offices. I look outside the window. It's about minus 75. There's piles of snow everywhere. Do you want to just paint a bit of a visual picture of what you're seeing if you walk outside your front door? It's a bright, sunny day. Like if you would just walk out, it'd be a bright, sunny day out there. Yeah, that serves as basically a, a tourism ad for, for Belize, Yadira. For anybody listening now, we're probably just like scrambling to find tickets to go somewhere warmer. I did want to note, Yadira, in the context of the, our partnership with the Presbyterian Schools of Belize, where geographically are most of the schools that we're partnered with located? So the schools, like I said, is in the northern part. That's a Corozal district. That's the northern uh, district of Belize. And Cornerstone is probably like five or 10 minutes away from the two Presbyterian elementary schools. That's Presbyterian Day School and Concepcion School. And then we have a new life in the Orange Walk District. That's like half an hour from Cornerstone to New Life. That's the Presbyterian uh, School as well. We have one in Belize City. That's the far, not the farthest because we have one in Cayo. That's a preschool in Cayo. So most, again, most of the elementary schools um, are in the Corozal district. The Corozal district, when we're talking about that, is it known for anything in particular? Corozal district, again, it's the district in the northern part of Belize. And one of the beauty that corners, that corners, Corozal has is its bay, you know, the, the sea, the Caribbean oh. sea that comes in. So for anyone wanting to come to, you know, living a very cold uh, place, coming to 
Corozal would be the best place to be where, you know, it's the day and you can just enjoy the breeze. So I would normally tell my husband, you know, Corozal is, you know, the most beautiful district because of its bay and just driving by and just seeing the waves flashing and feeling the breeze, the clean air there would invite you to come here to Corozal. That sounds amazing. I know if I step outside the office here where we're located in Hamilton, I get a breathe in the uh, industrial smoke that's being pumped out of the factories in the East End. So <laughs> you're describing a bit of a different a different environment. Sounds wonderful. Yadira, I, I wanted to pick back up on uh, earlier, we were kind of, we were discussing a bit of your journey as, as an educator. And you talk about this moment in 2017, where you find out that your approach to become the, the principal of, of Cornerstone what are some of the things that you're feeling? What is it like for you to make that transition from being a teacher in the classroom to all of a sudden being put in the position of leadership of the school? Sleepless nights because of the fear and the self-doubt that I was feeling, will I be able to, to do this task? But one of deep within, um, and one of the things that gave me that hope that I would be able to is knowing that when God calls, God equips, and I know that. Um, I was not alone in this journey. I knew that when I started teaching and even though it was something I wanted to do, um, I knew that God helped me through. And I knew that it was the same guy who was going to help me through. If he wanted me to be a principal, then he was going to help me through it. So there was a fear, but there was knowing it. Also the knowledge of that same God is going to help you through. And so I was, I was ready but not ready. Like I was ready to embark into this journey and find out what God was going to do through me. And there was also the other part of me that, that feared, okay, you know, fear the uncertainty what's going to take place. I remember that August, we had a training by Edudeo at Walking Together. It was a restorative practice mm. workshop. And, you know, I didn't know that that training was going to be of great help to me. At that point in time, I was taking the training and it was something that I said that I, that came on the right time um, as I was transitioning into principal, because it was something that I found, it was a tool that I was able to use. What happened now in August, September, walking into that office, I feared, I feared walking into that office. I would walk into that office many times to speak to Mr. Zantin, who was the principal then. And now I had to sit on that yeah. leather chair <laughs> in that office. Uh, literally speaking, I felt that the, that the leather office chair was too big for me. <laughs> but I sat there and I didn't know what to do. You know, just sitting there, it's different than being in the classroom. And that first day I sat there and I just prayed. For God, you help me, help me through, through this. And then everything just started, you know, once you're there, everything just starts flowing and you're there, you need to make sense out of that. During, and I'll go back to my current studies, I read, you know, the swamp and how the swamp, and so he was giving the analogy of public services um, working in like a swamp, you know, and it has lots of, of, of or living organisms. And so administration, I want to look at it. Once I was there, there were lots of living organisms that I had to deal with, um, dealing with parents, dealing with students, dealing with teachers, mm -hmm. dealing with the cafeteria, dealing with the securities. And it was something I just couldn't say, 
No, I was there and I had to make sense out of that. Yeah, I look back, I look back now, this is my fifth year. And there were, there, I mean, great learning experiences, things that I, I had to learn. I had to get to the, to the uh, education, I have an education book of policies. I had to constantly be reading that as something that when I was a teacher, I really didn't you know, look at that because I, I had to deal only with my students in my class, deal with my parents within that small number of students. But now being a principal, you had to look at the overall institution. You were one of our one of the leaders that was part of the Global Education Summit here in Canada in 2018. So it strikes me now that when you showed up at the airport there in, in Toronto, been a year into the role. I'm curious to know, was your experience at the Global Education Summit being among your peers, was that helpful in any way? Was it formative any way in terms of your leadership journey? That was very helpful, Ryan. I mean, just that, that was a year after, and I can say that during that first year, it was very challenging. It was at first the transition, then the things I had to deal with in that one year. So when I turned in at the airport on that day, I, was, I, I basically had this huge baggage on me. And being a leader, you, you, you can't just share everything right. with everybody, right? And so going to Canada, you know, after that one year, um, just going there, attending the, the, the workshops that we had and attending the Global Summit, it was refreshing for me professionally, spiritually, and as a person, personally, when I came back to Belize, I think I was recharged again to say, I'm going to go one more year. Uh, because after that one year, I was, I was really contemplating, is this, you know, is this where I would want to be? I mean, that was a blessing in disguise of going to Canada, uh, attending workshop, listening it from even the other leaders from around the world that were there, partner leaders. Um, that that was a big support and I needed to I mean needed to hear I mean it was like God putting me there and and everything that was said and I remember crying at that point in time and I look back and said oh why I was crying and I, but I mean I I was I was I was at the end I I'm glad and I said I look back and I said how did how was I able to you know at the end of the year I was able to to make it till the end of the year and then right. I went to Canada and sort of that school year, I was ready to go again and say, okay, Lord, uh, here I am. And I know you're going to help me through. It strikes me, dear, listening to talk about this, you know, when we talk about our, our partnership between Edudeo and the associations that we partner with across the world, I think about you talking about coming to Canada and being part of that global education summit with your fellow leaders. And it was wind in the sails for you as an encouragement. You could, you could talk to leaders about things that perhaps you can't talk to among your peers. The reverse is also true. I think about the experiences of Canadian volunteers going down to visit our partners in Belize and Nicaragua and Zambia. And for many of Canadians, those experiences of going down to, to visit our partners, catch a vision for what's happening with the schools. It's like wind in the sails for them. They come back inspired for, with, a, with a kind of like a new sense of purpose for as to why they care about Christ-centered education. 
I'm wondering, Idir, you, you talk about the restorative practice workshop that you participated in a number of years ago in Belize as kind of an important workshop for you. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, in your words, what is restorative practice and why were some of these things helpful to learn in terms of your own leadership at Cornerstone? When I moved into leadership and, uh, you know, one of the things I knew I had to deal with, with difficult situations. We had a book. We had the policies, a handbook of policies for Cornerstone. And handbook of policies are, if you behave a certain way, these are the consequences. Depending on the degree degree of your behavior, right? If your degree is, you know, if you're doing something that's totally not right, expulsion. Basically, that's what I knew I had to do. Follow that book. Restorative practice then uh, deals with, you know, relationships and bringing healing and restoring relationships. Because when people do certain behaviors, you know, there's, there's always an underlying issue to that. And sometimes when we just go directly to consequences, we're, we're just breaking that individual even more. So with restorative practice is you're trying to understand and give the individual an opportunity to be able to, to speak and share. And at the end, it's about restoring the relationship. I remember that that during that year, I had to deal with a specific student. And it that's where restorative came because if I wouldn't have had that tool, I knew what I was going to do. It's basically, you did this, you're out of school. Okay. Uh, but again, this provided me with the opportunity to be able to look at this, at this child, you know, and, and know that, okay, we need to work with you in a way that's, that's restorative, that's going to help you. And I knew, even before I knew that, you know, giving it demerits or giving this expulsions or suspensions are not helping the child but this is what we knew we had you know we were following right because we didn't have any other uh way of dealing with it so with the restorative then we knew that okay you did this let's hear from you and this is what we can do and the first time i used it it worked uh i had my script there and uh it, it guided me and even as a leader the restorative guide, you have a script there and it helps you to follow that. Because if you don't, and at that spur of the moment when you're dealing with behavioral issues, sometimes you can just let your emotions take control. And I think that happened in one incident with me, in one, one time with me where I just let it, and, and at the end, you don't solve anything. Things just get worse. But with that, with that workshop, then it helps you. These are the questions. This, you need to hear to the you need to hear the person you need to hear the victim you need to hear and and then at the end all of us together we decide on what's going to happen what's the consequences so restorative I said has worked and I'm glad that I got a, the opportunity to attend that workshop uh, right before I became the principal a lot of times when we talk about the walking together program it, I think it's is sometimes a little bit vague for people and so to hear of like Oh, here's a tangible example. There was a restorative practice workshop that was held. Our leaders participated in this and they, they kind of inform their leadership practices in this particular way. That's a, a really tangible example of kind of the, uh, the effects of the program. Have, have there been any other workshops that have stood out in your mind over the years or perhaps a thing that you took away from a time together with some leaders through a walking together workshop? So then right after the uh, restorative practice, then we had the strategic planning and leadership okay. um, workshops with Bill 
And so those as well have been helpful because it gives us, uh, so we're in this institution and now but we need to know where we're going, where we're heading as a school and as a management. So having that workshop, uh, it really helped us. It really helped me to be able to know, okay, where is it that I'm, I'm going with my school? Where is it that I'm going to lead my school? And then just recently we were doing Teaching for Transformation, okay. which is again, something that at this moment is one of what, I mean, as a Christian school, I, I remember that starting teaching and I remember Miss Carla Stevens, I, I was saying that Teach for Transformation, you could Teach for Transformation and she would take our lesson plans and she says, you know, you can start teaching. But sometimes we need to hear it over and over to, to grasp there. I mean, in one year you would learn something and then the following year, when you hear it again, it's like, oh, okay. Right. And then, you know, it, it's something that needs to be reinforced. And so teaching for transformation every year, we, we've heard, we had heard about the through lines, the biblical story. Um, mm. but it was something we were not quite sure as how to do it. And now it's like last year we had it this year. And it's something that, wow, okay. So, so I think we're doing it right. And every year we would apply part of it to our planning. And then when we meet the following year, like this year we knew, okay, this is what we're doing. We're talking about deep hopes now. We understand what our deep hopes, through lines that we had. And there were times we were just putting the through lines in our lesson plan. But, but what did that actually mean? And then this year we're learning, okay, through lines are actually the habits, the, the characteristics that we want to see in our students. So it's, something that at Cornerstone, not only Cornerstone, but all the Presbyterian schools are blessed with to be able to hear about teaching from church for transformation, learning about all of this. And now, because at the end of the day, this is our goal. We want to teach for transformation. And now we're getting the tools of how do we actually do it? Because it's not that, not necessarily because we're a Christian school, automatically we're teaching for transformation. I think right. that was something uh, we felt at first. We're a Christian school. I'm a Christian. So that means that I teach Christianly, but we're learning that now. I mean, um, it's we we can be a Christian school, um, but not necessarily. And, and so we're we're walking along and learning together about what is truly teaching for transformation. What is our deep hope for our students? Can you unpack that distinction between realizing that you can be Christian and a Christian school in name? But to come and recognize that what you might be teaching, like the, it might not have that Christian worldview integrated. So I'll go back to my experience as a teacher. So when I started teaching, um, I would start my class with, let's start with a prayer. Let's have a devotions. And then right after the prayer and reading the scripture, everything would be normal, like in any other school. It would be English, content, grammar, writing, and that would be it. And I felt that I was teaching for transformation. I was teaching it Christianly because I started with a prayer. And probably at times I would read a verse there. After, you know, these workshops that we're taking and realizing that it's more than just that. It's not just starting with a prayer. It's not like just, you know, it's like a cake with just sugar coated and then, but deep within, that's it. It's just like any other school. So now it's understanding that, yes, I mean, the prayer is, is very important. You can start with a prayer. But it needs, your lesson needs to be biblically integrated. And whatever I teach, my students need to be able to see God's story. And my deep goal or deep hope for my students to be able to identify their role in God's epic story. So 
So anything that I teach, I need to always look at it, okay, use a biblical lens and, and see how can I help my students see God's epic story in English, in math, in Spanish. And that was something I was not doing when I first started teaching. I was just, let's pray, and then grammar, 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 right? For mm. reading comprehensions, and that's it. And now we understand, yes, everything that, everything, at the end of the day, God is in control of everything. At the end of the day, this is God's story. And uh, so how do I help my students see? And it's still a little bit challenging, and we're learning in the process. Uh, how we're doing, but I think all of our teachers now know within our management that our deep hope is to help our students see their role in God's epic story. Picking up on this idea of the deep hope, and and I know earlier too, you talked about this idea of uh, understanding through some of the work that you've done with other leaders about the where where Cornerstone is heading. So I wonder then, could you maybe articulate a bit about that? Like, what is your deep, deep hope for Cornerstone as a school? What is the hope that you have for it to be a, a place that affects change in the community? So our deep hope for Cornerstone is um, one, that all of, our, all of our teachers would be able to equip, nurture, and empower our students. And again, I go back to, we want all our students to be able to understand their role in God's story. We don't want our students to be able to graduate and feel that that's it. And I get a, I get a diploma and, and I move on, and that's it. But mm. to be able to graduate and know, yes, I have my diploma, but I'm part of this epic story. I have a role to play in this epic story. Um, so that's our main goal as a Christian institution. We would also like is more on the academics. One of the deep hopes is that we would be able to provide a holistic education, to provide you know, mm. opportunities for our students because it's not only the academic. I mean, there are other areas that we can help our students develop skills that, that would help them. Um, because sometimes we realize, and I look back again to my teaching experience, uh, it was, I remember at those points, it was mostly academics, academics, but what about the child who had other skills and, and, and talents and abilities, and what happened to those students was that they were left behind, and as a teacher, you have a passion for your students, you have a passion for your subject, and sometimes the passion for your subject uh, outweighed the passion for the students, and if I, okay, if my student cannot get an A in English, then that student will not move on. And that was a big disservice to the student. And I understand that as a Christian school, first, we need to look at our curriculum, what we're offering, and be able to provide a holistic education that would prepare our students both academically and even in learning skills that would help them to, uh, again, be able to identify their role in that big story. Uh, we had partnered with um, a school, uh, a vocational school. And so we had our students ride a bus all the way to that vocational okay. school because they had all the, the, the workshops, the places there. And so our students would learn about carpentry, horticulture, cosmetology, and, and cooking. But again, I mean, moving a student from one environment to another, it, it brought the challenges with it. And so we're hoping that probably one day our students would be able to within Cornerstone and have a carpentry. Before COVID, we started that with a call as electives. So I invited okay. persons from the community that would come and teach basic carpentry. And we had a little shed there. We met a little shed where he would come, teach our students how to do basic woodworking. 
uh, I invited an alumni from Cornerstone to come once a week and teach our students how to bake and cake decorating. And we had our security who we identified as he had painting skills and he knew how to paint. So I invited him once a week to teach our students how to paint and students would be there painting. And we had another alumni teaching our students how to make crafts from paper and, and make piñatas, which is something that's very popular here. Uh, for birthdays, you would fill this piñata with sweets. So they were making those things. <laughs> and then COVID came. So that kind of paused. We still had electives. We had our teachers, some of our teachers uh, do photography, uh, videography, but we'll see. We hope, I mean, it's my prayer that one day we could definitely have these workshops set at corners because we have the campus to be able where students can learn and, and let students uh, appreciate their talents and their God-given abilities. When you were talking about this like shift in this realization or this at least this vision that you have at Cornerstone to kind of like lean into this vocational skills training, this speaks right into kind of the direction that Edgedeo is heading in our new strategic plan because not only have we like in Canada has have Canadian schools kind of recognize this gap and kind of serving students that have these inclinations towards us trades and more those kinds of vocational skills. Our partners too, I know Uche, our international partnership director, for those listening to this who might not know who Uche is, in our conversations with partners across the world that is something that is coming up over and over again and it's one of the reasons why one of our strategic goals as a ministry over the next three years does it to lean more of our focus towards a skills-based training so to hear you kind of speak to this vision leans right into what we as Edudeo ministries are hoping that we're moving in any way so it's 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 exciting to hear that yeah, dear, I'm, I'm, I do wonder, like you talk a bit about COVID comes along, like has, how has the, how has COVID affected some of the visions and plans that you've had as a school? Do you sense you're finding a bit of a new rhythm or you're feeling like you're coming out of the worst of it? COVID pushed, pushed us to be able to find our strengths, even in the use of technology. Prior to COVID, we only had 13 computers in our computer lab that basically had reached the end of their lifespan. And, and so we had students going in there and working on those computers. And we've, we ranked ourselves technologically wise that we were not, you know, we were really below average and we couldn't offer our students anything in technology because we didn't have the resources. Right. When COVID came and prior to, when COVID came that August, we had a workshop again uh, by Edodeo where we were trained how to use Google Classroom something that was new to us and that training I think it, it helped us see that technology is not just thinking about your computer lab and the computer is there because that's whenever we talk about technology is the computer lab that's non-functional and the computers but technology I mean we had google classrooms there were so many other apps that were there that had been there for so long that we didn't know we didn't know of and so it helped us see you know, that we can use all of this to reach out to our students. Right. We had Google Docs, even as a staff, we had Google Docs where we can share documents. So I think I look at it as it helped us see that we can we, we can learn all of this and we have it's there. It's just a matter of you know discovering it. So we discovered those things, we found it, sorry, we found those things. So it had its advantages, but we also have the disadvantages. Uh, and there are still things that, you know, as we're coming back face to face, we cannot do everything that we used to do. Uh, but little by little, we're 
we're you know getting our students in and then working and see what we can do and then how we can help our students. Yadira, just thinking about to some of the last couple of answers, things you're talking about, those leaps in technology that you'd, you'd mentioned about how you kind of overcome this period of even fear of using certain elements of technology. I relate to that so much. If you would have told me prior to COVID, okay, you're going to go and set up a Zoom call with a partner and record it on there. Like I would have been like, uh, I, what is Zoom? Like, I don't know. Like I just, I remember using Skype a few times. So it was still kind of this abstract thing. Half the time, if you had told me to set up a meeting, I wouldn't have even known what really what I was doing. I completely relate to how like during the pandemic, the way that you can kind of get entire groups of people to kind of embrace new technologies and what positives that can come out of that. We felt that as a staff here ourselves, our ability to connect with our partners actually increased during the pandemic. Okay. We're going to make a little bit of a shift here. Yadira, I will say this before we move on. Thank you for your leadership insights, the contextual observations you gave and the practical wisdom on leading through a pandemic that really speaks to one of our hopes for this podcast that leaders can provide a high level view of both their context and some of the specific joys and challenges of education within that context that might be completely unknown to Canadians. We also wanted to provide our listeners a window into what make our guests tick. And so to that end, we have prepared a number of rapid fire questions that I want to throw your way and just see if we can learn a little bit more about you. So here we go. If you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, my 18-year—I need to—I need to remember <laughs> where I was at a point in time. 18-year-old, I was at a grade 12 in high school. Yeah. Yes, grade 12 in high school, and there were times during my grade 12 that I was really struggling academically, and there were times that I had self-doubt uh, even on the graduation am I going to graduate um, but I look back and I would tell myself keep on persevering right on and keep trusting in God um, he had the perfect plans I look back you know what I've gone through and I can say that every experience has molded me into the person I am today so it's keep on persevering don't give up there we go if you could sit down and have tea or coffee with any historical figure, living or or dead, who would it be? You know what? I I was like the sort of Moses. Okay. And I think that's on because when God calls him to be a leader, and he's like, "No, Lord, I yes. you know why don't you choose?" And so I, when I became a leader, that's one of the stories as well that I like to read. You know, he would stutter. He would say, I, I stutter. I can't. And God made great things through him. So he would be one of those, you know, historical leaders that I would really love to sit down and, and speak to. Because many times I felt like him. It's like, why me? I mean, why don't you call somebody else that has a degree? Okay. Um... If you could, outside of where you currently live, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I love new experiences. I love traveling. Um, I think anywhere where I would be able to see nature. I mean, anywhere where I would be able to see uh, forests, uh, the sea, <laughs> anywhere. I mean, no, I, I won't really have a specific Okay. Like anywhere where I can go out and enjoy nature. 
so not not the east end of hamilton in by the industrial factories that were present <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. yeah. if there's any place that i i would be i would be able to enjoy nature snowflowers sea flowers I, those things i i am more of a i love being outside what was your favorite subject in school and why English, specifically literature, not the writing aspect, the literature part, the reading uh, of books. And why was it uh, one of the, sub or the subject that I liked? Again, because of uh, Miss Meyer, Miss Dorothy Meyer, Amazing. a missionary from Presbyterian Day School. I mean, like I said at the beginning, she would immerse us into the into the book. I mean, we would, she would read books and we would do part of it and we would cry along with her she would shout and she would not whenever they are the, the characters would raise their voice she would raise her voice and we were i mean we just i looked forward to those classes well, and so that's one of the subjects i enjoyed so on that note you're putting back like if you're talking about Ms. meyer and her, the the books that she would read through like uh can you what is a book in particular you remember her reading that you were utterly captivated by the chronicles of narnia Okay. All the Eller. I think the Chronicles of Narnia, All the Eller, um, Helen Keller, um, uh, what other? I mean, there's a list of books that, you know what happened whenever Miss Mar would finish reading like the Chronicles of Narnia, um, Helen Keller and All the Eller, we would, everybody would fight, we would go <laughs> to the library and we would fight to get that copy of the book again and read it. And so Miss Meyer knew that after she finished reading those books, everybody, it's, She's going to place in a library and we would just go there and, and get those books. And so those were books. And I think it's same books that she's reading through her because my children are attending um, school uh, and same books that she's reading to them. And I said, yes, that's Miss Meyer. And we just, I mean, one of the things that I really liked about, about her. Okay, on that passion for reading for books, I'd be curious to know you, dear, is there anything that you've read in, let's say, the last couple of years that comes to mind that you would tell our listeners, hey, if you haven't read this, you have to read this? Okay. I look back at the books. Which books have I read? I think most of the books that I'm reading um, now are more <laughs> the books for my professional yeah. uh, courses. But e um, even if there's something the, in there the that's books, good. Yeah. One of the books that I've I've read is The Craft of Christian Teaching. I think we did the workshop with Bill. So it's some it's a book, and I had to, I looked at my shelf. It's a book that I had again way back when I first started teaching Cornerstone, The Craft of Christian Teaching and Teaching Redemptively, two books that Miss Carla Stevens, who was our mentor, uh, gave us. And so it's books again that when we did the walking together with, with Bill, um, that's a book, uh, Craft of Christian Teaching, that's a great book. And Leading with a Limp um, mm. is another book that I've read. And that really, again, um, made me see myself in leading. Um, you know, sometimes we're hesitant, reluctant, call the reluctant leaders. Right. And sometimes just like, like Jonah, we want to go somewhere else. But God has a way of, of bringing us back to what he has called us to do. So that's, I think that's one of the books that have really helped me and and so too, when I read it, I was able to relate um, as a leader. Do you have a piece of fiction that uh, that comes to mind? I started reading The Island of the Blue Dolphin, but it was there halfway. And then um, that was another book that Miss Meyer read to us, but it was there halfway because then I had to read all of these other books 
it's mostly these professional books that I find myself okay. reading now. My daughter loves reading, so she's getting to enjoy all of these, you know, uh, fiction books. Is that cool for you to see those books through the eyes of your children now? Is that a pretty special yes. experience? Yes, and um, especially knowing that it's the same teacher that taught me English. Oh, interesting. It's the same teacher that's teaching my students and, you know, I know, and, and, and when I talk about it, oh, Miss Meyer is reading, and she cries, and she, you know, and it's, it's uh, yeah, I know, and so we would sit down, and and I'm happy that my children are getting to experience um, those uh, moments that I also enjoyed as a as a child. Yadira, this has been such a sincere joy. I, I'm so thankful that we've had an opportunity to chat about these things. So thankful that you've been generous enough to be the first guest on our podcast series. I'm already excited to bring this thing to the edit and, and get it out and share it with our Canadian audience. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. And I'm sure we will chat again in the very near future. Thank you for having me. It was indeed an honor to, to be here. There it is, everyone. History's been made. Our first episode is now in the books. Honestly, I'm just glad we could convince you to keep it under 40 minutes. I know you guys had to bring a lot of data my way to convince me to, that that was going to be the, the route we had to go. And there's a lot of data out there. <laughs> I'm so happy we could have Yadira on. I think she represents the core of why Edgideo exists. Investing in and learning from leaders who have a passion for the gospel and a vision for change in their education communities. Okay. Jenna, is there anything else that you want to add before we go? Absolutely. This podcast is not a static thing. We want to hear from you, the audience. What are questions you'd like us to ask our future guests or themes that you'd like us to cover? You could even suggest hosts who could replace me. Yes, please. Send all of your questions to info at edgideo.com. Love it. Okay, we have a number of episodes coming your way. We're so excited to share these conversations with those of you who are passionate about the mission and vision of Edgideo Ministries. Check back here next week for the drop of episode two. Goodbye.